Welcome. This is the inaugural recording of Black and Blue. Nope. See, I've already got it wrong. I don't even know the name of our podcast. This is the... This is a thank you for the tip. <laughs> Already we're editing and we're only five <laughs> seconds into our podcast career. This is the inaugural episode of Black, White, and Blue in the South. Yes. My name is Bill Kimler. And I'm Jamil Brooks. And we are your hosts. We are also the first... No, you're the first vice chair. I am the chair. Yes. We are the top two chairs of the Greenwood County Democratic Party in red old Greenwood, South Ooh. Carolina. Yes. And we are now officially out of material. <laughs> and we are. <laughs> no, let's talk about being in Red Greenwood. What does that look like? Well, first, before we get into Red Greenwood, mm. I want to know what you were doing out in your car in the parking lot. I had to help someone. You know, that's what we're here for. So they needed help with, believe it or not, Google Forms. And I just enjoy kind of walking them through how to create Google Forms. And you were conducting this training while driving here in your car. Yes, I was, because it's hands-free. That's amazing. Isn't that cool? You are incredible. Where was this student of yours that you were training? They were in Greenwood. Okay. It was somebody local. <laughs> yes. So they're in their computer, and I'm telling them I got a meeting, and then I'm helping. Well, to start off, since this is an inaugural podcast. Yes. How about give us a little introduction about yourself, and then I will do likewise. Okay. So, as <laughs> my co-host has stated, we're in Red Greenwood, but I'm Jamil Brooks. I am an educator slash healthcare um, slash techie person from a little bit. Um, let's say I have about 20 years in education that has led me to get experience in healthcare and in technology. Passions, anything outdoors. Believe it or not, I'm allergic to everything outdoors. Man. I just found that out, but I love outdoors. See, to me, coming to the library here where we're recording, yeah, that's pass, outdoors. Exactly, and I pass so many trees that I can have a reaction at any moment. Now, you're also Dr. Jamel Brooks. I am. I'm Dr. Jamel Brooks. That doctor is healthcare administration with emphases in policy and advocacy. Those are my two things. Give me a policy, and I'll make it work. I am so impressed. I am just sitting here uh, living low and poor with two <laughs> master's degrees. Uh, but I'm sitting here humbled in the no. sight of an actual doctor. That's awesome. You should not be. You're not humble. My original goal was to own a assisted living facility. So I figured, let's go this doctorate route, nail down the policies, procedures, know how to best equip my team. And then I landed in education and never left. But um, spent about maybe 10 years in healthcare. Started healthcare early. No kidding. Early. Well... Um, I'll talk about myself a bit. My name is Bill. I'm a technology guy from many decades. I work as a software product manager today, uh, but I have been all the way up to a CIO of a $4 billion company Whoa. running IT for um, a distribution company that had 13 warehouses across this country. Um, I am, as you can tell by my lack of a Southern accent, <laughs> Uh, I've relocated to South Carolina back in 2012. Uh, 2012 when I first came to South Carolina and I was commuting, kind of living in two places at once and um, permanently became a resident here. My wife, born and raised here in Greenwood. Oh, wow. We've been happily married for years. And uh, so now, aside from the lack of being able to say y'all, uh, y'all, y'all, <laughs> uh, authentically. I'll keep working with you on I'm that. a Southerner. I, I, I've certainly, as I said in one of my speeches, I moved to Greenwood out of love for a woman, 
but little did I know I would fall in love with Greenwood. Wow. And, and I truly have. Um, but like you, I didn't start off in technology. Uh, my background was actually in hardcore science. I graduated with math and physics degrees, got my master's in physics and a master's in teaching. I was going to be a hardcore science physics teacher. Wow. Physics. Uh, maybe one day doing a doctorate, but I had, um, I had just had a baby girl when I was 23 working on my master's and you just can't do a doctor degree while having a newborn. Oh my goodness. So I I stayed in the education realm and I lasted all of about a year and a half. (laughs) A year and a half. Yeah. The, I I taught both at the college and high school level. The high school system was just upside down. They would only offer me a part-time teaching position. So I did that for a year with the promise they would give me full-time and then they reneged on that promise. Oh, wow. Then I got another opportunity because I had done a lot of, started playing around in the World Wide Web. This is back when it was new in the mid-90s. And so I applied for a job to be a web designer for this private, small, family-owned distribution company. Instead, I got hired as a technology trainer. Wow. They needed people to learn about Microsoft Office. And this was back on Windows 3.1. Oh, wow. So this was like all brand new (laughs) stuff. And... uh, so I became, I had my own little technology training center, taught people how to do email and Word and stuff. I mean, we were still using typewriters wow. back then and, and we were moving to Windows. Uh, and then that's where that career began. And uh, after 15 years, I found myself as the CIO. And this company grew from just, you know, one little family owned business in upstate New York to uh, one of the largest distribution companies in the world. That's amazing. They've since gone bankrupt. Uh, I, I left there in 2016. And then in 2020, they were no more. Uh, they did not handle the pandemic. Which were, most people didn't. That's yeah, a lot of companies didn't, but yeah. this was a big fall, you know, for such a large company. Uh, I had since I'd already moved on at that point. I'd like to take some credit that because I left, they went under. Oh my goodness! That's, that's how I sit here and uh, pat myself on the back. <laughs> but I know, of course, that wasn't the case. Uh, but I work for another company now. I'm very happy. Been with them for seven years. I, I deal with a global firm. So my daily routine uh, is every morning phone calls with a team in India or Israel or UK or California. Oh, my God. That is uh, so interesting. I'm giving a presentation to a customer in South Africa next week. You know, it's just it just become commonplace where I, I used to sit there and go, wow, I can't believe I'm talking to somebody from New Zealand. But now that's just Tuesday. Wow. It's a, it's a fun way to be. And I work uh, completely from home. So I'm 100% virtual employee, which has also got its perks. I tell you, you hide all that so well. Hide what? All of that. Like, I didn't know you were doing all of that. That's amazing. What did you think I did? I mean, I know you work from home. Okay. But I'm saying, I think that is super cool. Yeah. You should, you should kind of say that a little bit more. Well, I, I get to work from home. I did that well before the pandemic. So yeah. I was used to it. But I'll tell you what, after 20 years of clocking in and out of an office, I gets want old. A little baddie. It gets old. Uh, yeah. When I when I you know when I started working from home, it was fun for about a week, and then I got stir crazy because hmm. I was at home all day every day, and I just found myself just throwing everything up in the air, saying, "I got to get out of here." <laughs> uh, but now, you know, seven years of working from home, I've gotten used to it, got a good routine. Wouldn't see it any other way. No, I'm good. I'm good. good. I don't need to go in the office anymore. I'm good. Yeah. Global, doing anything global requires you to have excellent communication skills and adaptability, and you display that very well. Well, listen, this isn't, we're not going to be sitting here lathering each other with compliments. Well, I'm just saying, I have to give it to you, you know, when it's due. And I think that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) 
like don't hold out. But that's right. well, I got to get some of this in writing. Then take that home <laughs> to my family. Put it on a refrigerator. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but but uh, just as a an origin, Jamel and I have gotten to know each other over the past few months as she stepped up and said, "Hey, I would like to run for first vice chair." And you know, I asked you a question a couple of weeks back when we had lunch, and I said, "How did we meet each other?" And, and both of us scratched we each still other's don't, heads. Do you know? Because I still don't remember. I do. Oh, stop it! It started with an email. Did it? You wrote an email to me saying you were interested in running for first vice chair. Oh, wow. Now, I think I had met you at a meeting just like I had, you know, met a whole bunch just of people. Just in passing. Just yeah. in passing. But then when you emailed me, I did a little Google searching and you're all over the internet. And I saw <laughs> that. I was like, wow, I, this is a home run if she indeed is serious about yeah. being first vice chair of this party. The things that we could accomplish together. Yeah. Um, and then you've proven it and then some. You've got the passion and the energy wow. that is, is rare to see. People like to talk, uh, but you back that up by doing it. Yeah, that's it. important. That's important. So that's how we, we met. That is interesting. I did not remember how. Because our like I think our relationship clicked and was so genuine, we were able just to flow together and get things done. I never took a moment to pause and say, wait, how do we even meet? So that's kind of cool. Yeah, it was weird that it wasn't it, top of mind. It was almost like we knew each other for a while. That's right. So <laughs> that's right. I think that's neat. So we, we were chatting over lunch a while back, and I had this crazy idea that uh, wouldn't it be fun to take some of these conversations we're having, record it, and put it out there for anybody to listen. And of course, I was for it. I, and I couldn't believe how quickly <laughs> you said, yep, let's do it. Yes, that's right up our alley. Let's do it. Now, I want to give credit where credit's due, I want to give a shout out uh, to my, my friend, uh, Barrett Gruber. Uh, he is the owner of the Gruber Entertainment Network. I don't know if that's what it's called. I, I made that name up. But he does run several different podcasts awesome. and has a little bit of a, a nice side gig going. I got to know him through this podcast called the All About Nothing Podcast. Mm. These guys reached out to me when I ran for State House last summer. And they were on this kick. Now, they, were, they were a podcast based out of Columbia. Now they're in Lexington. They interviewed most of the first-time Democratic candidates running for office oh, wow. last year. Uh, so it was myself and a bunch of other people that I had gotten to meet along the campaign trail, all first-timers, all talking about their beliefs and policies and <laughs> what it's like to be on the road. They even interviewed Lisa Ellis. Okay. Uh, she ran for state superintendent. Yes. And then even most recently, Barrett scored an interview with Marianne Williamson, oh, wow. the candidate for, for president. So he's good. He's got a couple other podcasts. He's got some buddies that do the recordings with him. I've been on his show three times now Okay. Uh, and just had a blast and, and said, you know what? We can do this. Yes. I listen to a hundred podcasts. I'm subscribed to a whole bunch. <laughs> Some of them are just downright terrible. And I think as long as we can, you know, be better than the we worst podcast. We will not be terrible. Okay. <laughs> just, let's just say we'll get this first one out of the way and then we'll take over. Yeah. So this truly is, you know, no format. None of us prepared. <laughs> so you're truly hearing off the cuff. Comments. Yeah. This is really us. No preparation. So I have a topic that I'd like to kick off with. Let's go. Just before we got together, I received a text from somebody okay. um, who I know peripherally. I can't say I'm, I'm closely, uh, I'm close with him. I've only met him in person once, chatted online a couple of times. Uh, but he wrote me this message saying, isn't it terrible what the South Carolina Democratic Party is doing to Marianne Williamson? And I said, well, wow. you know, do tell. Uh, 
all I know is that she spoke at the Nash, at the Democratic at convention back yes. in May, so she, she got time. a chance to speak in front of all the delegates from across the state, a thousand plus people. Yes. If that's the state party working against you, then you know. Let me know. Um, and then he went on and made some claims that I'm not going to share here because I need to verify. Okay. You know, first, you need to verify these things before you go public with them. But it brought up kind of a bigger point. He obviously is a huge Marianne Williamson fan. Okay. Online, I've seen quite a few people come out for uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. I don't know why, but continue. <laughs> and, and then, of course, you've got Joe Biden on the Democratic side. Okay. And, and so I just wanted to get your opinion about those other two candidates who are not the incumbent president, RFK Jr. and Marianne Williamson. And there is... Um, some, and I wouldn't even say a belief because I think it's been backed up. The Democratic National Convention is not supporting or helping or assisting. In fact, you could say they're downright hindering both of those candidates from pursuing activities, goals, meeting at national conventions or what have you. In fact, I just read an article that Marianne Williamson was denied the chance to speak wow. at the uh, national Democratic high school students meeting that's coming up. Wow. And, you know, I read it. So it was this high school student Democrat organization that said, no, thank you. Then they said that they were just following the policies of the Democratic National Committee. So that makes me wonder, what policies are we referencing? Apparently, there's a policy or a memo that the DNC wrote saying they're supporting our incumbent president 100%. So they're really not entertaining uh, any notion of uh, of anybody running against Joe at this point. Okay. So a couple of things come to mind. First, if that is if that is in fact true, that could be considered a bad thing to do. When you look so at let it me take out the if that is true. That is true. Okay. So so it is. I think that fact. I think that we should. It's, it's our duty to give the people all the information necessary to make the right choice and pick the correct candidate. However, I'm not, I'm wondering if this is a funding thing to ensure that the funds that they will be collecting, that will be distributed to the campaigns are not a waste. Because there are chances that when you're looking at the other two candidates, that is going to be a pool of money that is going to be tossed to the wayside because they don't stand a chance. And so we have to consider at times is that still a right move or a wrong move? I think it's wrong to deny the people an opportunity to hear from everyone. But again, they, I just really want to know the policy that this is based on to support their stance. I think if people are running, they should have the opportunity. I don't say prevent people from hearing it. The moment you start to shelter or obstruct the view of what the people should see, then you lead people to formulate thoughts that might not be correct. And I can tell you from a democratic standpoint, we don't have time for that. We need to be as transparent as possible. So I'll read this Newsweek article. It came out end of June. So this is dated June 27th. Democrats block high schoolers from meeting with Marianne Williamson. A board member with the High School Democrats of America confirmed the decision in an email to Newsweek, saying they were mirroring policies set forward by the Democratic National Committee, of which they are affiliated. And earlier this year, the DNC indicated they would not sanction a debate between Biden and the other candidates, and at this point is moving forward with the incumbent president as their party's de facto nominee for president. 
You don't like that. I don't like that. I don't like that. I think you have to give the people an opportunity. They should be. Here's the here's the thing that we we say. We believe that we have intelligent beings. And if we believe that, then I think we should give them the information and let them make an intelligent decision to support or to not support a candidate. By sheltering them from a candidate, it piques the curiosity of the individuals that are not being seen. People start to wonder, well, why is it that we're not seeing Kennedy? Why is it that we're not seeing Marianne? These are the things that we're going to run into, and that's a problem. So we can eliminate all that confusion. We can allow them to have that debate, allow Democrats to make the choice and go from there. This is not to say that the the National Democratic Convention still can't support who they want to support, but who would they be to say that you don't get to see the others? Because if they're running on a Democratic tip, ticket, they have the choice to be heard. They have a chance. They should have a chance to be heard. Why, why, why ostracize them? We have a call coming in. You want to take a call? Oh, can we? No, I'm kidding. I was so excited. <laughs> Let's start this. <laughs> That was perfect. That was perfect. (laughs) Let me hear what someone else thinks about that. See how I welcome that? Even though I didn't know, I said, let them come through. You're good for for anything I throw your way. That's awesome. Share the knowledge. (laughs) (laughs) What are your thoughts? Well, I hear what you're saying. Okay. And I think theoretically, I agree with it because democracy requires multiple voices to be heard. Correct. However... These two candidates, so let, let's set Marianne Williamson aside because of the two alternatives to Joe Biden, I think she is the most legit. RFK Jr. is just a complete clown show. I agree. And I'm, I'm using the word clown for the word I really wanted to say. Correct. We'll take clown for right now. Imagine he gets to stand in front of high schoolers and starts peddling his BS. And let's say the high schoolers who are impressionable young minds, let's say 10% of them believe him. Did we just do damage by allowing fringe, uh, setting aside his beliefs, he is also just so comfortable with lying. I've seen him speak. I've seen him say completely false things, setting aside COVID or vaccines or anything, Mm -hmm. just in terms of, well, I never said that. And then there's the video of him saying that he's just so fast and loose with the truth. He truly is a complete nut job. I just even looking at the people he associates with. So I guess the question I would propose is, granted, you want multiple voices. And I think Joe Biden would probably be stronger in a primary situation where he has to debate on policies and his record. And he's going to have to do that with against a Republican anyway. So let's get practice now in a more friendly field. That is exactly what I was going to say. But we do we have to, to allow anybody who decides to file to play in this game? No, I don't think we need to allow anyone, but I think we need to allow top contenders. I mean, there are enough polls to see who's ranking, who's pulling the So interest. right now, RFK Jr. is pulling three times the rankings as Marianne Williamson. I don't think that a presidential candidate should go in and speak to the high schoolers. Because I think at times that message may be slightly above where they are. 
cognitively. Not saying that they don't know how to vote right from wrong, but I think the message is so, it's so embedded. It's kind of like an onion when they're going in there. They have so much that they're really saying, they're only going to give you that first layer. And sometimes to be able to analyze exactly what they're trying to get to you may take high schoolers a little bit longer. Some of them will pick it up, but not all. I think those conversations need to go to the adults. I don't think we should bog a high school um, down with that particular but presentation. Set aside the high school. The high school is just this specific I think example. You should, I think you should give it to the. We should be even allow if, even if it's RFK wrong. Junior. Correct. We should be allow, on a debate stage. We should allow him to debate. We should allow him to debate because here's the thing: you cannot prevent people from getting false information. I mean, Fox News is a prime example of that. So it is going to be out there. The reason I say put it out front, because if you put those, I don't even know what to call the information that he speaks, but if you put that information out on front, on the television station, during a national debate, and allow Joe Biden to respond to it, now you have individuals that are able to critically analyze and see that what uh, Kennedy is saying is so far-fetched. I think sometimes hiding the crazy is what allows the crazy to continue. And though crazy may be offensive, it is the best way to describe some of the things that are occurring when we uh, reference candidate Kennedy. I think that exposure is necessary. You can't, you can't protect yourself against what you don't know is brewing. The Republican presidential candidates, and there's about 53 of them now, I think my <laughs> uncle just filed yesterday. It's a lot. Um, they have set some ground rules to qualify for Makes a debate sense. stage. Okay. You know, you have to have certain polling. You have to have a certain number of individual donors to your campaign. Okay. I don't think the DNC has done anything of that sort. But would you agree with setting some ground rules to qualify? And even though you may have filed, and if you didn't qualify, you don't get the debate stage. Is that okay or is that considered anti-democratic? Oh, that's a tough one. That's a good question, actually. And in some rights, individuals would say that that is anti-democratic because we're not giving everyone the stage. However, I support that route versus not allowing. Um, What we don't want to do is also waste the American people's time. So I can definitely support not having someone who has raised a dime um, not make the stage to debate. That I can support. I can support somebody who is not even showing up in the polls as an interest for the American people not making the stage. I think categories need to be established or would help the Democrats um, to ensure that it is an equal opportunity and a chance to get there. If you want to get to that stage, nothing stops you from running. Let me just say that they can still put their names on the ballot. But if that's the stage that you want to get there to make sure that the American people hear what you have to say, then you're going to have to work to get there. And that does mean showing up in the polls that they run. That does mean raising a certain amount of money and having a certain amount of people that support you. I think that's that's fair than just getting up. And I was on my couch today and I thought, well, shoot, let me throw my name in the hat and I'm going to go and waste the American people's time talking about stuff when I have no clue. So having something, some type parameter set in place, though it may appear that it appear that it's not um, democratic, I believe that it is. Don't you think that there is some, I'm going to say, loyalty to an incumbent president that should be kept in mind? I mean, this is a man who won the last election, who went through the worst presidential transition in the oh history of presidential transitions, who had to deal with an inept 
handling of a pandemic that killed over a million Americans. And you look at where we are today after the you know supply chain collapse, global economy collapsed. Now today we're looking at the being the country with the fastest recovery of any other developed country in I the know. world. That's cool. You know, while things aren't perfect, they're going a lot better. His numbers have only risen in the last three years. Correct. Could you see a position that says, look, we stick with our guy if it's an incumbent president. Now, when we had 2018 and we had 19, 23 different Democratic candidates, the DNC stepped aside, let them all battle it out, gave everybody equal turn. I saw all 23 speak. At the Democratic National, at the um, South Carolina Democratic Convention okay. in 2018, it was fun. But once you're president, haven't you earned? And you've been a, a good president. Yes. Haven't you earned the right to say, "Look, I need the support of the full DNC, and I can't be distracted." And this is going to sound really harsh, but this is my view on this. I'm not sure that the two people we're referencing will distract him at all. So I don't feel as though by the DNC allowing them to engage in this debate would be a distraction for someone who has done the work, has the numbers, has the facts to back up what he has done. He is, he, they will not be a distraction for him. So do I think that they are saying that they are not loyal? Here's what you don't want to do, I think. Now, um, I would not say that, I, I do not believe that it would be loyal for them to promote one of those candidates other than the sitting president. I think that would be disrespectful. But I think to give them all equal opportunity to still voice their their stance on subjects that affect the American people is necessary to remain true to our democratic roots. That's my thought on that. Um, do I think that we're questioning their loyalty? No. I think that what they're doing is remaining. Here's what we can't be. We can't be more loyal to the president than we are to the people. I don't ever want us to lose sight of we're going to support the individual who's in the seat. Because if we really want to talk about it, that's what the Republicans did for Trump. And I mean, hands down, there was probably a majority. And because I love research, I won't quote numbers because I don't have them. But there are probably a majority of Republicans who were like, what is he doing? This is going too far. We see this, but they allow it to continue to save face. So the only thing I'm saying is you cannot be more in support for your president or your leaders than you are for your people. And your people deserve to hear and be able to make the decisions on which way they go. I believe if both of those two uh, candidates were to go on a a debate with Biden, based off of his record, there's really no debate. Well, listen, you and I sat there and listened to Marianne Williamson. We did. And I've also seen her speak twice before. I have too. What What was your opinion? I'm, I wish you could show my face. Um, it's, it's really, you know, I'm, 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 I will tell you this. I appreciate her passion. I do. But in terms of leading the free world, that is not someone that I would see that I could support. I know the argument that's made for uh, Williamson is, you know, she's she's got the right progressive ideas. She does. And I can't dispute that. I've heard her interviewed and, and she says a lot of progressive things that I'm in She knows the with. lines to make you respond. Yes. But. Running the country is not just somebody who has the right opinions. No. You know, um, it's, a, it's a, a fallacy to think that a president gets stuff all done by themselves. Oh, my gosh. I almost just jumped up and ran around this whole room. Could you just say that part one more time? I don't I remember what I said. You know, the president oh. can't run the country by themselves. Go. Thank you. You You're said welcome. it. You said it just as well as I did. Oh, my gosh. They can't. 
So you need to find somebody who is able to either negotiate, work around, work through, bully, coerce, bribe. You got to know how to play the game. And you have to, as the leader, be able to listen to people. So you can't just have all the great ideas and be so stubborn that you're not hearing what the team that you've built is going to say to support so us. We, we've already been through four years oh. of a of a first time leader. Yes. You know, Donald Trump did not was not elected to anything in his life, yes. and we saw <laughs> the terrible thing. Like his his whole administrative team turned over just about every three weeks. Yes, there was somebody new in that office yes. that was even more useless than the person before. And and after the fact, they all turned against him. They all wrote books about him. They all talked about what it was like to work in his administration. The guy was just ineffective. Now, either 55,000 people who worked in that administration were lying about how terrible it was, or it was just terrible. And you know what? I The, the thing that would always amaze me when we had conversations about um Trump was that people would say, well, he's look at him, look at where he is financially. He's managed companies. You know, he was able to turn companies over. And I kept thinking that is a bad assumption to use to support as a leader that he managed companies and the turnover rate that he experienced in the White House. It is an example of him managing companies. Well, we're not even we're just halfway through this year. And Marianne Williamson is already on her third campaign manager. That is red flags for everyone. Her South Carolina team up and quit on her about a month ago, said they couldn't take it anymore. And, and these are some people that I know from wow. working in, in the circles. They stepped up and said, we want to work for Marianne Williamson. They got five, six months of what that was like. And they're like, look, we're done. You know, so who, yeah. who better than the people that have to work with her? I think she's under a million dollars cash on hand at this point. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, so so really to say that she deserves an equal voice at the, at the same stage when she has such inner turmoil. If if there were people who have worked intimately with Marianne that were out there singing her praises, if her South Carolina staff was giving me a call and saying, Bill, listen, you need to hear and see, and this is what I believe then that's one thing. Instead, that entire team quit. Yeah. So what's that going to be like on a national level? You can't put somebody with good ideas out there if they're not capable of managing. But that is for that is not for you to say and it's not for us to say. That is for the people to say if the DNC were to adopt the standards on what you could do to get on the stage. That would be for the American people to say. Listen, I if Gavin Newsom from California or Roy Cooper uh, governor of North Carolina stepped up and said, I'm going to primary good old Joe. You know what? That would be interesting. That would be interesting. And I'd be out there saying, I want to see them because you know what? They've demonstrated the they ability have. to lead. They have. Um, they're, they're dynamic. They're energetic. And I think they have earned the right to be on that stage. But, you know, my uncle Joe should not have that spot. So I'm going to say this. I think the reason, and I am not speaking, let me put my disclaimer out here. I am not saying that I have anything to back this assumption of. This is purely an assumption. This is just Dr. J. That's all you got. Um, I wonder if the reason why the DNC is not putting anyone up front is because they know that President Biden is going to need all the focus and all the attention poured into him because this next run is not going to be an easy one. Nope. So maybe that is the stance. Let's just not even waste our time. And I have a term that I use, but I'm not going to use that on here. Whenever we have another candidate who know that there's no chance 
in the world that they are going to make it, but they jump into these races and then they have, especially I'm looking at the presidential race, and then they have so many people tagliding and then you split that Democratic vote. Then we have chaos near the date that we're supposed to be trying to pull all the funds together to run a campaign so you can have one Republican and one Democrat on that ticket. And now you've had individuals invest in 15 other Democrats who are not going to get anywhere near that final ticket. And so my stance would be, or my assumption is that the DNC knows that we've got to figure out a strategy to ensure that Biden crosses that finish line. And it means no distractions in terms of not just hearing what the people have to say, but no monetary distractions. We don't need that money to come from or go anywhere else. Fun Biden. Well, on that, I think we're going to wrap things up. Oh, wow. Um, that was a, a fast uh, 35 minutes, believe it or oh, not. Oh, how cool is that? How cool is that? And that was just us riffing without any plan I know, because you know we can talk time. all day. <laughs> we could, but uh, then we would have zero listeners. Okay, we'll but, stop. Uh, but I will want to end on one little game. I, I Not even a game. Let's just end on an interesting note. Okay. Um, is there a fact about yourself that most people don't know that you think might be interesting? Uh, a fact about myself? Oh, gosh. Well, tell me about where you've been last week. <laughs> I am a member of the most illustrious sisterhood, Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. So last week, so if you don't know, now you do. Last week, we had the most enjoyable, insightful time in Indianapolis doing our 56th National Convention. Amazing. So I, I don't know if this is a Southern thing. It is a not a black thing. It is. It is. I know one of nothing the... about these sororities and oh fraternities. I mean, aside from you know National Lampoon's Animal House, you know, and, and a bunch of goofballs living in a house together in a fraternity. I, I came to South Carolina and 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 mostly all black people. I don't know any yeah. white sororities and fraternities. Maybe yeah. they're out there. They are. They're what out is there. that? They are. So we are. There are only nine recognized. Um, Panhellenic uh, Hellenic Council, and that is the Greek organizations that are African-American. Um, however, we don't necessarily eliminate other races from joining the organizations. It's just that we were founded with African-Americans as our founders. And nothing to do with colleges. It does. It does. Oh, it does. You have to be a college graduate to um, join most of the organizations. They have different entries. Is that where you get in? Is that the college level? You can get in at the college level or what we call the grad chapter level, which is when you've completed your degree. And that becomes alumni. And then you have to sit and choose which one you want to join. At some well, see, point, it's or? not. A, and I say this to people that ask. It's a it's a passion thing, and it is a a commitment thing. So for most of us, we knew in our heart of hearts if we ever went Greek, joined a Greek organization, we knew what that would be, and it aligns with what the mission of that particular organization is. What does it stand for? Delta Sigma Theta stands. Found, I mean, profoundly on social action. Um, social action is my passion. So there was never a doubt in my mind. I saw some of your your pictures on Facebook. You know, there were thousands of people there. Uh, there were seventeen thousand. Wow! At this convention, and then we also had it online. So there was a large number online. As well. I saw some of the speakers that you attracted. Did and... you see our honorary members? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I am going to try to remember. Are you about calm. to fangirl here? Yes, I am. Oh my gosh! 
And I won't tell our listeners this. They will have to go and look that up and see who our honorary members oh. were. But it was amazing. It's an amazing sisterhood. It's an amazing journey that is truly about answering the call of the people. So we get to do it locally here in Greenwood. Um, we have a wonderful president and vice president who ensures that we stand in line with what the national um, organization is saying, and we go out and we serve our communities. And what we, an interesting way to end. And yeah, I, I can talk I to you about that for another oh, wow. hour or two. My passion. Uh, but we're going to wrap this up, uh, being that this is our first episode, yes. a test episode. We don't have our act together, so there's no email address or website for you to reach us at. We don't have a Facebook page. In fact, we don't want you contacting us just Not yet. yet. We, we need to figure out what the heck we're doing. But should this thing grow, and I can't see that it doesn't, uh, we'll have a, a presence So I thank you. Uh, My name is Bill. I'm Jamil. And we thank you for the time you spent with us here on Black, White, and Blue in the South. Yeah. And this is where we stick in some closing music. What are we going to use for our closing? I don't know. The end. (laughs) (laughs) Nailed it. First try. (laughs) The end. The preceding podcast is a product of Big Media and copyright 2023, all rights reserved.